invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 50, verse 18. And I'm going to read some selections through here. Um, so I'm going to jump you uh, around a little bit. And so as I do so, I'll give you the next verse. So we are only going to read two or three verses at a time and then go forward. Okay? So beginning in Jeremiah chapter 50, I'm reading out the New King James Version as is my custom. God's word declares, but I will bring, I'm sorry, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. But I will bring back Israel to his home. And he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. His soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon those whom I preserve. And then if you'll move forward to verse 33. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah. All who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name, and he will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. And then if you will go forward with me to chapter 51, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Lebkami, a destroying wind, and I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land from the day of doom. They shall be against her all around, against her and let the archer bend his bow and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare your, her young men, utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken nor Judah. By his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. And then finally, if you'll move forward. <clears throat> I lost my place. Uh, to verse 33 of chapter 51. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor when it is time to thresh her yet a little while, and the time of the harvest will come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me in my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of the Chaldean. Jerusalem will say, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions' whelps. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk and they may, that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, says the Lord. I will bring them down. Like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with male goats. Well, this morning we are going to finish up Jeremiah. I know it looks like we still have chapter 52 to do, but I want to remind you that we did cover chapter 52 at the fall of Jerusalem as we went into Lamentations and uh, looked at that passage, and we included chapter 52 then. And so 
we're really finishing up this morning um, our study in Jeremiah. And uh, I uh, know it's been a difficult one. It's a diffi- it's, there's a reason not very many pastors preach through the book of Jeremiah, um, other than maybe an overview of it, rather than a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter. And so we come to its conclusion, and um, we are certainly with some expectation uh, of not only, as the prophets foretold, destruction and judgment, they also, in their time and according to God's revelation, gave a future hope. And it's that future hope that we're going to end on this morning. Uh, through Jeremiah. It's not where the book of Jeremiah really ends, although it is wrapped up in these, in these two chapters, um, but it is where we are going to finish as it presses us on. We have looked a little bit last week at these two chapters, 50 and 51, and we looked at the destruction of Babylon, and we looked at some of the foretold elements of who it would be and how it was going to happen and, and uh, the circumstances and the extent and the duration of it. Uh, and as we did so, we also looked at God's role, that this was God's vengeance, so this was God's uh, judgment, and why was it fair? When after all the times he said, this is my instrument, I've raised up Babylon, And we found consistently throughout there the problem was that Babylon did not give glory to God for his uh, raising them up. And this is key to their destruction as they actually ended up uh, being on the wrong side of the God of gods and king of kings, lord of lords. And because they laughed at the uh, circumstances around Israel and uh, her judgment, and they contended against God. We saw that, and they were arrogantly saying, we have done this. And so God has now in his time brought judgment on her, and it is more extensive than his judgment on Israel um, in that it is permanent. And to this day, there is no place called Babylon on the earth. But as we look through chapter 50 and 51, we also saw interposed in there, uh, and excitingly, if you were an Israelite, hearing this letter being sent from Jeremiah uh, to the land, and hearing this, that there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is something God has planned. He isn't just talking about doomsday for Babylon, he's also talking about salvation for the people of Israel, for the nation of Israel. And not just Judah or Jerusalem, but all of Israel, both the northern tribes that were taken out by the Assyrians, as well as the southern tribes. And it is this that we want to look at this morning. And we're going to press this in, just as we did with the fall of Babylon, and we looked at the eschatological nature of the end times um, use of Babylon and God's dominion there. We're also going to see that with Israel before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for the opportunity to take this time to open your word and to consider its truth, to uh, expose our minds to it, our ears to it. But Lord, um, we recognize that doesn't always mean we've exposed our heart and lives to it. And uh, so, Lord, we pray that you might work in us. 
that we might truly be tender and that you might break down every wall of uh, rebellion in our hearts against obeying your word, obeying your word and being responsive to it, not only in this message, but in every facet of our life and to all of your revelation. And Lord, we do thank you again for this time when we recognize that we need your spirit to be at work, uh, to guard this time and to um, use it in a powerful manner. And we pray that he might have liberty to work in each one of us and in all that is said, that it might be in accordance with your word of truth. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come very, very quickly, just four verses into chapter 50, and we immediately have uh, one of the goals of God in destroying Babylon is to set the stage for his reclamation of Israel. Unless you think that means that as soon as the Medes and Persians come in, that Israel is now going to be free. That just isn't the case. We know that the return, the formal return to Israel under Zerubbabel comes some years later. Um, and then the second return under Ezra and Nehemiah comes even later than that. Uh, we are going to fill out the whole period of time that God said they were going to be in captivity, the whole 70 years. And so they are going to have to be there that whole generation but in the midst of this, they're going to see this turnover of authority. And we're going to see them uh, being called upon of how to uh, relate to it um, and to recognize that these are instruments and God has his purposes and God's word is firm. And that is something we need to really get a hold of today. And there are too many in the history of Christian theology that have uh, made God a liar, frankly. They have made him unfaithful. They've made him uh, a speaker of riddles and, and untruths, that he, keeping, making promises that he, that he wasn't going to keep. And, uh, and so, Lord, we're, we're going to look at him very differently because um, if his promises to Israel are not true, then his promises to the church cannot be relied upon either. And that's why they're so critical. And when we enter into and engage theologies that say God has given up 100% on Israel and is now only working through the church, um, they are declaring that you can't trust God either. Um, because if he was not faithful to his promises to Israel, um, then we are fools for following him. And so it is in, in very necessary that we fully grasp the nature of God in relation to his people because we are fundamentally dependent upon that nature. Uh, we have staked our whole future, not just of this world, but of the one to come upon that nature of God. And so we want to join Paul in recognizing that there is still an unfinished work of God with regard to Israel. He is not slack concerning his promises. And so he is going to uh, keep them even when it seems that he shouldn't. And that's critically important to me uh, because I look at his promises and I say, well, he has no reason to keep them toward me. I haven't been that faithful to him why should he be that faithful to me? And so we're looking at these passages and they're very precious to us for this is the 
foundation of understanding our hope is to understand God's nature in his relationship with Israel. So we come to verse 4, and it says, In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. I don't know how much more permanent we can describe a covenant. Um, you might say, well, it seems that God has turned his back on this covenant. No, he has certainly judged his people because they were deserving of it. And we need to recognize there's a difference, and every parent knows this difference, between that of, of uh, disciplining your children versus rejecting your children. There is a, a strong difference between those two. And God wants us to understand that while he disciplines, that does not equal that he has rejected his place in their lives as a nation and as a people. And so while Israel might feel, and we even saw it in Lamentations, we see, we've seen it in Jeremiah, we've seen it in other places, where Israel's like, where is the Lord? Why has he done this? Well, they know why, because he sent prophets after prophet after prophet to explain to them why is necessary and to tell them you can avoid this. And they ignored that. And so the discipline had to come. Why? Because God is faithful, not just to keep his promises of blessing, but also to keep his promises of cursing. That if you turn your back on me, you will have a curse come upon you. That that is just the reality. And so when Israel made the covenant with God, they said, if we do this, God says, I'll do this. If we do this, God says, I'll do this. And some of those were good and some of those weren't. If you go after other gods, what can you expect from your God? Well, and he lists it and now he's carrying it out. But yet here they are in captivity. And remember that we are talking about the best of the best that have been carried off into captivity. And understand that this is when the Babylonians came in the first time, the second time, the third time, they are extracting what they saw as the best of the people of the land. And so when we come across these men in the book of Daniel, we need to recognize we are, we are looking at those that from a human perspective, from a Babylonian point of view, these were the brightest, the strongest, the sharpest, the, the best. These are the best of Israel. And we're going to take them to Babylon, retrain them in Babylonian ways. Um, and it starts right off by dealing with their diet and things like that. They're going, to, they're going to try to make them into good Babylonians. We want the best and brightest of Israel. Um, and we're going to give them a fast track into some authoritative places in our government. Um, and they're pulling out. But it's not just the best from a human perspective. But it has been very clear through the prophets that the ones that are being drawn out are also among the princely class that were willing to defend the prophets. If you remember back in, earlier in Jeremiah, where a whole group of Israel were ready to kill Jeremiah, who comes to his rescue? Well, the princes come in. And they say, wait a minute, you know, and they want to adjudicate this, and let's make sure that we're doing the right thing, and, and don't you... That don't put 
Jeremiah in this category, all the prophets have spoken against Jerusalem, um, that if you break the covenant with God, here's the judgment. That goes all the way back to Moses. And so they were on his behalf there. And so we find that these that were carried off were preserved by God. And all through the entire period, uh, including the intertestamental period and coming up into the birth of our Savior, there has always remained a remnant of Israel. And this remnant theology is very important, and it's going to take us all the way to the end times of the coming of Christ. Who's going to be looking for it? In verses 4 and 5, were never completely fulfilled in the days of the destruction of Babylon. They really were never completely fulfilled, even in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra. They were partly fulfilled, certainly. And we can see that Israel went back to the land. They, um, they recommitted themselves to God. They repented. All those aspects that we see here were true of Israel in that condition.